animal burials and it was a baby lion yeah and probably a baby lion that was bred in captivity so they're probably rearing some of these animals yeah yeah and it had the fur of the so we're thinking like ancient egypt joe exotic yeah yeah (laughs) yes i haven't seen that and i'm not going don't it's insane Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Hope you're doing well. How have you been? I've been okay. It's been, um, well, Ukraine got invaded, so that's been stressful. But to be honest, I've, you know, I'll read, I don't watch the news, and that helps me to not get yeah. as yeah, watching, emotionally I've seen out. some things I would prefer of not to see. Like what? Just some bodies and stuff. Oh, they were just very forward with showing things and like, yeah, yeah just stuff like that. But And then this week at, on campus was just madness. It was madness. It was like one of those weeks where like I didn't have a moment to even think mm-hmm. and getting through email. Right, Amber? Oh my goodness, the email this week. It was just, and, and people needed me like right then. Mm-hmm. And it was. Um, I th- feel like it's been crazy everywhere because even at my job, other job, mm-hmm. it's been crazy there. It's like everyone's kind of slowly coming back, yeah. I guess, from pandemic processes. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, and, and there's just not enough people to do all the work that we have to do. It's too yes, much. Yes, 100% that. It's too much. Mm-hmm. So. So I'm okay, and I'm supposed to be trying to finish my recycling for death, and I keep trying to carve out time, but it's it's not it's not easily done. Yeah. And you know, th- this thing is supposed to be done by my birthday. That's what we said that I would have the whole draft done by my birthday, and I, I just there's a just little pieces I need to put together. There's not much left for mm-hmm. me to finish the goddamn draft by my birthday. But I, I, it's really hard for me to yeah. put it all together. So I'm, yeah, I, but I feel I'm like fine. doing that higher okay. level thinking. It's yeah. hard to just be like, oh, I have an hour. Like, let me just fit no. it in. You need like, you know, a sustained part of the day. Because you have really... to get into it. Where did I yep. leave off? What? And then you have to read through what you've done. And then mm-hmm. you get into a part that's difficult. And it's, um, and, and I'm still working with like, should this even be in this order in terms of chapters? Yep. Maybe I should switch the order of chapters and start with the 17th and 18th rather than starting with the 21st. Why am I starting with the 21st? So I may have to switch that and Kylie will be like, oh, great. Now I have to rename everything. You know, she will. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She'll be like, God damn it, Kara. And I'll be like, I'm sorry. But you know, yep. it'll, it'll be fine. Yes. Yeah. How I feel are you like, doing? Good. I actually was able to do some dissertation Yay! work. Yay! So that was good. Got back into things. So yeah. Yeah. I think um, a lot of my heavy workload that I had from my other job should be calming down. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll have some more time to be able to spend on that. So I was like managing four grants getting submitted. So That's insane. Yeah. Do they pay you for extra time? How does it work? Um, 
I never really go over my hours. So okay. it's more that I just sometimes have to work outside of my like set hours, mm -hmm. but I make sure I never go over. So okay. that's fine. Um, yeah, otherwise I'm good. Just the Ukraine stuff is, you know, bothering me, but it's as, as it should, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah. If it didn't bother us, then what's the point? Like inhuman. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Um, but we do have some housekeeping oh, things go for to bring it. up. So we've started. You know, I'm not going to do it. You have no <laughs> idea what the housekeeping is. Well, I made a list. That's okay, all I, you that's know, great. I have going off my list. Um, so we started our Substack yes. page and it's entitled um, After Lives After Party. It's so cute. I love so, it. And so how did this come about? We were, we were, what were we thinking? Well, we were thinking that as Facebook potentially dies mm -hmm. and we witness its death in, in real time, and as Instagram is connected to Facebook, and you can't really have conversations there anyway. Yeah. And as Twitter can be um, a really mean place to hang out sometimes and, you know, kind of death thready, um, you know, as, as, and, and as we, you see the, the owners of these things, the powers that be decide whether or not people can see them anyway. And mm -hmm. since I'm not, we're not paying for this stuff, how, how can you get your word out there? And that's why this podcast was created, right? Mm -hmm. We're like, well, we have a lot to say and what we have to say and how we want to say it isn't necessarily conducive to the, the world of socials. Yeah. And as we watch social media quickly change, we felt we, we had some, things that we could communicate in a written form with comments that cut down on the polarization and cut down on some of the meanness that's yeah. out there on the social media. Well, and like Facebook, all these algorithms of mm -hmm. how and why people see what they do on their feeds mm -hmm. and this. So this is more, you know, if you're really interested in what Kara has to say, what I have to say, Amber is going to be contributing as well. If you're interested, and we'll have guest posts probably too, if you're really interested in hearing you know, some well thought out posts, um, you know, they'll be researched and supported and all this type of stuff too. So you can subscribe to those and get them sent directly to you. So mm -hmm. we're looking to kind of cultivate a, um, like a, a different kind a of readership and audience place. where they actually like really want to be engaged and involved and can comment and like I'll post an amazing link to an amazing news story that I found mm -hmm. and it'll get 50 likes and yep. no one will see it. And I'm like, well, that's really sad, but because it didn't blow up within the first two minutes, that's it. It's dead. Yep. And I can like make a comment and try to save it. But it's just annoying to have to do all of that. Why don't I save all my awesome links for this Substack yep. and then tell people to follow the Substack and then they can they can find the content on a weekly basis. We maybe will have a midweek post or mm -hmm. something like that. Yep. And it'll be a way for us to say, this is what we're doing this week. This is what's going on. Yeah, it might and, be something we're researching and yeah. like, this is really interesting, yeah. you know. My, my musings on it, it might be longer posts, it could be short, like I read this really cool article, check it out yeah. type of post, yeah. little range. Or this um, is what we're talking about in grad seminar yeah. this week, you mm -hmm. know, this is this like was the big question. Article. Exactly. Yeah. Um, post a, a link to an academic article if it's out there on the interwebs freely available. So yep. there, there's, there's good stuff out there and it's hard to know what that specialized content is if you're not a part of that mm -hmm. subculture. Yeah. So yeah. Continuing to our demystification. Yeah. Right? Bring people in yeah. in a different way yeah. and let them engage. I agree. The other big news is we have new recording equipment. I know. Which we're using right now. And I just cleared my throat. And I guess that means you can edit that out if you I, want to yeah. get really so over the top. So I if go, I go <clears throat> you can I just go clear that out. Because I've noticed 
this is nothing against you. You take very loud intakes of breath. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> when you like, but just when you're talking, yeah, and you're like, I don't know, taking just another breath. It's it, it sounds always like picks a giant up. yeti. So like... I always go through, and I you I do? do too. I do. I do. Amber's have... laughing. She's a, the Schadenfreude <laughs> is strong with her. But I edit out all of our breathing. So what I would like to yeah, yeah okay. I edit out all of our intakes of breath and things like this. Okay. So you can take as loud and heavy breathing as you want, and I will just edit it out. <laughs> oh yeah, Amber, will you go inside in in their fridge? There's a bottle of wine, and um, in the fr- she, yeah, she she was asking if you wanted water. Water's fine too, but there's but, wine. But she's like, but wine. I guess we're gonna have party yeah. o- of people over a party of people party, party people, people party okay, over what later. Do you want? What do you want? Wine or water? Um, what do you want? Wine or water? One thirty. Do wine. Okay, do wine. Thank you, Amber. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <Cut. laughs> we just pause for one. We paused. Okay, so we have our new equipment, which we're using right now. Yes, it's super, super fancy. Got a mixer, because apparently I'm always quiet. And I am always loud. <laughs> so we can mix our our audio separately to make sure we're at the same volume. And apparently and, I do deep intakes of breath. Yes. It's fine. Girls <laughs> gotta breathe. Have, I, this mixer also has cool options where we can have someone call in on the phone and we can That's have it crazy. mix or from the Zoom call on the computer. Okay, great. And keep every audio file separate. So Because Zoom is going to be the way to, yeah, to for, invite most guests, I think. Yeah. That would be cleverly done. Yep. And we got our little clip mics here. So it should be, hopefully this is better audio overall um and thanks to everyone for sticking with us throughout the process i've been listening to a couple other podcasts where people are like oh i'm starting from your first video and it's like no don't because our audio is so poor as you're like figuring out you know how to what we need and how to make this work yeah um what else but i think otherwise that's all of our news so it's 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 a lot going on i think it's great yeah in, in some ways, it seems like more work, but in other ways, you know, all the things that I've been doing on the social media for the last, really, since 2006, 2007, um, I, I've had social media going for a while. And if I just take that energy and put more of it into the Substack, mm-hmm. then we'll create something new yeah, that's less dependent on once others. Once you get the workflow, it's like starting a new habit. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe a little bit more work up front, but yeah. once we get in the rhythm of it and in that flow yeah i think it'll be pretty easy i agree and if you don't feel like you have to write something big it can be short little you know pull the quote your favorite quote from this article Mm -hmm. and have a little paragraph discussing Mm -hmm. it It doesn't need to be these blog posts well and a lot of people have said that they don't like podcasts they don't have time to listen they don't have space to listen Mm -hmm. but they can read and they want to read it's the same with me consuming my news by reading but not by watching so Mm -hmm. i do get that and you may not want to listen to me and jordan blather on um, so you can you can listen to stuff that we write, yeah, and we'll have a conversation. Well, there. we can this like be fun. post stuff from our show notes from the episodes, so they can be related to our episodes as well. So mm-hmm. if you don't like listening to podcasts or don't have time, you could still maybe get the essence of what we're talking about in a different formula. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so this episode should probably be reaching everyone in the month of April. Okay. Um, we're recording this in end of February, but as our time schedule has played out, it should be in February. So okay. 
hopefully around Earth Day. So we're doing maybe like an Earth Day themed episode. Um, and so as everyone's aware, I hope so, you know, the planet is undergoing crazy environmental changes. We're seeing, you know, super wet, cold streaks in the Northeast. It's super dry and hot here. We're now it's kind of cold. All this like crazy weather, um, obviously human caused. Mm -hmm. So then it got me thinking about ancient Egypt and what, how did the ancient Egyptians interact with their environment? How did their environment act upon them? Which we could talk about your new article coming out. Mm -hmm. You know, what resources were available to them? What was living like, what was living in Egypt like at the time? You know, um, how did they impact their landscape positively and negatively? What are like climate change can we see in their historical record? Um, you know, we could look at geography, materiality, all these, all these good, more theoretical topics. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna dive on into that for the rest of the episode. Sounds great. Super exciting. Yeah. Awesome. You know, you know, I love geography. You know that when I teach women in power, I always start with a map. Does mm -hmm. it still work that way in no. the class? It does no. start with a map. I don't know. I don't no. watch the videos, and I've forgotten. That's still your same video. So. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. um, but we, I think we human beings like to pretend that we are uh, separate from our environment, that we can control our environment, that we're not dependent on our environment. Yeah. And it's uh, important to remember that social formation and systems of power are formed within an environment. And you get different systems based on the geography and, and the place that you're in. Yeah. What's the very like nature versus nurture? Mm -hmm. Like nature isn't just like your parents raising you. It's no. everything around you, including actual nature, um, affecting the culture and the systems. And, and Yeah. And you know that in the Women in Power class, I link geography, nature, whatever you want to call it, directly to female power or mm -hmm. the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And that there are places on the planet where the geography lends itself to allowing more female power vis-a-vis uh, -vis the males in their society and other places that, that really strip women of any autonomy whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And they become rather slave-like in their existence in, like in certain places. What David Graeber's book, Debt, argues that women are one of the first like commodified you yeah. know objects yeah. is humans yeah. including women so yeah. get yeah into that well so I'll, we can go into this more later cuz i have some more questions yeah, it's fine. about that it's fine go just go in your order starting really broadly mm -hmm. just for if people don't know um, what is egypt like hmm. and we can talk about egypt for the ancient Egyptians, and we can mm -hmm. talk about Egypt now, because I do want to get into very some more things. modern topics, the high dams and stuff I want to bring mm -hmm. up a little later, mm -hmm. the Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, we'll yeah. get into a little later, and how this will change things, how that changed the Nile. Yeah. So I guess we can talk about maybe quick Egypt today, and then go back into e ancient Egypt. What are, you know? What are the differences? Right. Well, Egypt today is is very much like Pacific Northwest America, in which you have a dam that controls what was a very organic and seasonal mm -hmm. rising and falling level of the river and a moving bank. Um, there, it was yeah. never it's locked ever down, ever yeah. shifting, exactly. And, you know, now that it's been controlled and you have the, the Aswan High Dam, you, you have that water that's controlled, tightly controlled, 
and the Nasser, Lake Nasser is your reservoir and you pull out the water that you need, mm -hmm. um, never too much, never too little. And sometimes you have seasonally low Niles still because you're still dependent upon the Blue Nile and the Ethiopian the Highlands the and all of that. Yeah. Exactly, monsoons coming from Southern Asia, Central Asia. But it's, uh, it's created a, an environment that is riverine and you have your river versus your mm -hmm. desert, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There's a lot of Egypt that's now in the desert, particularly mm -hmm. now as they're building purposefully in the desert. But so you still have a river environment. Yeah. But it's a river environment that's concretized. Yeah. Um, stabilized. You don't have floods. Yeah. And you have fertilizer and you fertilizer, have high levels you have of all salt. These human, yeah. yeah. Which is why the Nile was so amazing back before all this, yeah. because the inundations would get rid of the salts. So the soil was always, you know, so fertile and perfect and yeah. you couldn't overuse it. Yeah. Right. So, and you could have multiple growing seasons in a year. You know, this fresh, and, perfect stuff. And yeah. now you have to really... It was like made for human agriculture. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't have fertilizer in Egypt now, you're not going to have a crop. It's mm -hmm. not going to, it's mm -hmm. not going to work because it's the same earth, same earth. Yeah. And all of that silt that used to create the Delta is now just being kept back behind the dam at Lake Nasser, and the delta is eroding. Mm -hmm. So Egypt is getting smaller, kind of like Louisiana is getting yeah. smaller. Um, so yeah, there, there's all crazy. kinds of issues in modern Egypt in terms of living along this river. And then the, the other thing you see in Egypt today is that they're making the desert green. So the extent of a an irrigated land mm -hmm. keeps being pushed and pushed and pushed with um, uh, irrigation and, and pipes and wells, all kinds of things, wells that can get yeah. the water further and further out. Mm -hmm. And we know this because we work in desert areas. That's where most of the archaeology is. And you're like, wait, they're farming here? Yeah. Jeff has this crazy story working at Hierocompolis. Yeah. And in the wadi leading out to the Royal Cemetery, it's green because there's a town way back in the desert and they've like raised the water table to get the town water and it's like making all this like green come up where you know there was green back in ancient ancient egypt but not traditionally part of um the landscape and yeah it's changing and it's like you know you're torn because you're like yeah people need water people need housing egypt is a huge country has a huge population yeah but then you're like it's at the cost of what yeah yeah it's yeah. hard yeah it is hard, hard. Um, okay, so then looking at ancient Egypt, so we mentioned the Nile, mm -hmm. so it's a very riverine-focused um, culture. We have the Delta, it's a Delta, um, Marquis. It's, it's, yeah, it's a very dense yeah. green that's hard to traverse, you know. Lots um, of water. We're, there are roads there now, but still mm -hmm. it's... they're it's not, still it's getting a, around in the Delta. It's hard. You still have to go, like, you can't grow, like, as the crow flies. It's, like, all these back-ass yeah. ways. And yeah. It takes, like, way much longer... To get anywhere. Um, no, and, and you can only imagine what it was like in the ancient world when, the, oh, when yeah. half the place was flooded. Good mm -hmm. luck. Yeah. Yeah, so we and then we have the desert. Mm-hmm. So we all know that. Fertile Valley. Okay. So then how did the Egy ancient Egyptians refer and think about their land? So we have like a bunch of terms. We have a bunch of kind of ontological understandings of the land and their land and how it works. Um, yeah, how did they conceptualize 
the land of, of Egypt. Yeah. Well, what, what do you see as the big separation? Well, I see Kemet and Jeseret. Yeah. Right. So black land, Kemet. Yeah. Versus red land, Jeser. Yeah. Jeseret, meaning the desert. So red, desert, black, fertile soil. And the this this is why I have a problem with saying Kemetology rather mm -hmm. than Egyptology, because then you're excluding the desert desert cultures, desert peoples, nomadic peoples, um, mm -hmm. which is an important part of Egypt. And those two things um, have if to only, go together. If, well, and like as you said earlier, all the funerary stuff's out in the desert. So if mm -hmm. you're only looking at the valley, there's not much left. Right. The Nile has. Yeah, and it's interesting that the Egyptians like to think in terms of binaries. Mm -hmm. So you get your black land versus red land. You get your delta versus Nile Valley. Yep. So I was going to do upper versus lower Egypt. Upper versus yeah. lower, exactly. You've got your Mediterranean coast versus a river sort of mm -hmm. landscape. You've got the river that has cataracts, those big granite boulders in the middle of them versus the river that doesn't. Um, you've got the Egypt that's got a limestone bedrock, which is most of Egypt. Um, and then you've got the further south where it's got a sandstone bedrock. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like that's a big deal, except that sandstone is harder. And so sandstone creates a higher, deep, uh, higher, more shallow channel. And, and I'm not a river expert, so I apologize if I get this a little wrong, but you don't have a vast expanse yeah. of agricultural land in the way uh, that you do with the Not a wide limestone. river meandering. Exactly. It's much tighter. Yeah. And so then you don't have as much agriculture when it when there's sandstone. Yeah, it's stone. like cliffs and then river. Exactly. There's not a lot of valley flood And that flood means you plain. don't, you don't have as, yes, your floodplain is smaller, yeah. so you don't have as many people. Mm -hmm. And that means that the place where there's limestone bedrock is going to be much more populated than the place where there's sandstone bedrock. And that's Egypt versus Nubia. Mm -hmm. And that population matters when it comes to colonialism and power uh, imbalances and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I too, I want to, I feel like it's a big point to touch on is the inundation mm -hmm. and how that works and how important the flood was and how they conceptualized kind of time, yeah. I think, even so much by the flood, right? Calendars you see, the start of the new year was when the flood ended. Right. Um, they watched for when certain stars rose to right. know the flood was starting. Right. So the very thing that allowed them to live there, this flood was, you know, very much ran their lives, you know. They and isn't it ridiculous their... that you and I have to learn about this from books, that we've never experienced it, yeah. that no living Egyptian mm -hmm. has experienced it. It's not something that, that we can feel. Like, you know, when you're a little kid, you have to learn the names of the months. And this is yep. November, and they give you a little picture with the leaves falling and everything's in autumn, autumnal color. And you're like, okay, that's November. And then you live it, and you're like, oh, it's November. Mm -hmm. And we can read about these things in books, but we can't experience what it was like. And that's obviously super frustrating for most Egyptologists. I don't think it's necessarily frustrating for most Egyptians because while that seasonality is is a beautiful geographic reality to clean things out, to grow the delta, to create sustainability, I think when you're talking about private ownership of property and uh, maintaining your household yeah. and all of these things, that kind of seasonality and upheaval from flooding can be very destabilizing for, oh, yeah. for a population. Especially in yeah. a globalized society yeah. where you want to be yeah. kind of on the same timetable as yes. everyone else. And, yes. Yeah. Because so. it means Egyptian time. If you're under, if, if the flood is, to, there's no flood and there's no water, you're not really going anywhere. 
and, and everyone just kind of sits there and waits. You can't really yeah. farm. You can't do anything. Or you have to move your house. Yeah. Right. I remember reading it was something about Western Thebes pre-High Dam. Mm -hmm. And it was like how people were living near the Ramseum. And yeah. when the flood came, it would flood up to the Ramseum. So they'd have to move back. And they were, you know, staying in some of the nobles' tombs. But it was like that back and forth, you know, cyclically. That, that Egypt was always semi-nomadic yeah. in some way because that was just the way that it had to mm -hmm. be. Or and you had to stay yeah. on the little gazeras, the little turtlebacks. No, and only the rich people got to get that high ground mm -hmm. and the temples were on that high ground and you knew if people didn't have to move their home that they were very wealthy yeah. versus others. And you probably yeah. just every, you know, once, whatever, whenever the inundation happened, you would just pack your bags and yeah. go up into the hills. And then the idea that when... Well, let's start with the flood, right? Yeah. Let's and and this is something that I've had to read about in books, and then I, you try to imagine it, but without having lived it, it's hard. Mm -hmm. But let's we'll do it anyway. So, come end of June, yep. I think into July is yep. when the first waters start to bubble up in the and springs. And, yeah, so there's there's a little bit of um, of of some tells, and mm -hmm. and there are texts about this. There are there are holy places in Thebes, in particular. I'm mm -hmm. sure there were all around Egypt, but I know, we know of these most in Thebes because so much of what we study is is from this place because of preservation. That there were certain springs that would start to get active mm -hmm. when the the Nile flood was coming. on its way, yeah. coming exactly. The ground table was rising, flood waters were coming, and then. Come August, September, those were now flooding the banks mm -hmm. and bringing all of that silt with it. Yep. And people just kind of stopped doing, in some ways, people stopped doing everything. In some ways, people did all kinds of other things. So you had a big shift yeah. in what you, you would do. Because you couldn't farm anymore because no. everything was flooded. So right. maybe you could go help build King's yeah. Pyramid <laughs> yeah. or other things out into the, into the deserts where your labor could be put to yeah. different use. And it was a really good... A time I've argued in that article you were mentioning mm -hmm. in the social history book, when there is a flood, maybe not too much flood, but a yeah. flood that makes it so that you can get around the Nile really, really yeah. easily with a big barge. It's a good time to collect taxes. Mm -hmm. It's a good time to reconnect all of these places that low Nile allows local life to continue. Mm -hmm. It allows local rulers to rule without being watched over by the dominant um, court society. Yeah. And and it allowed um, more independent decision-making. When that Nile floods, and you can have army boats going up and down the Nile, you can have the king's mm -hmm. barge and his lieutenants and viziers going up and down that, that Nile. It brings everyone under the power of the king again. Yeah, it's a perfect time for campaign. Yeah. Right? A bunch of if you don't have a standing army, that's when most of the men would be free. Yes, to be. Uh, yeah, so you could send boats up and down and say, get, "How many men from this village? Mm -hmm. Put them on board. We're right here, we're right now. We're going, and we're a bunch of soldiers, so we're going to kick your asses if you don't yep. give us your young men." And then you bring those guys up up north or down south, depending yep. on who you're Wherever invading you're at the time. Um, it's a good time to move big rocks. Good time to move big stones. Yeah, if you're building pyramids or colossal statues, yep. whatever it is you're doing. Maybe going even into the desert again on mm -hmm. like sort of expedition. Yeah, even probably a good time to have lots of sex and, and create the next generation. Yeah. Yes, it's free time. Yeah, but then way. when they take all your men, you know. Yeah, that's not good because there's draft labor. Probably mm -hmm. every flood there was draft labor. Who are they going to take? How is it going to work? And get divvied up somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, so then it's flooded for how long? Like three months. Mm -hmm. 
Everyone's... And it's weird too because it's like when we think of the seasons, like winter being when you don't, mm -hmm. winter being like November through March, excuse me, when you don't have any farming. That's like when the Egyptians would be farming. Right. It's kind of It is swapped. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a couple months of flood through like summer. The mosquitoes must have been brutal. Yes. In can, like September. And then you'd have probably some disease breakout. Yeah, out, malaria. Always of in, course. Like, our early fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, then, so throughout the winter. But th so throughout the fall, well, the waters recede by when? Are we going to say like October, November? November? Yeah. yeah. And it depends. If it's, yeah. if it's too much water, it takes too long for the so waters to the recede. In. You can't get your seeds in on time and you're going to have a shorter harvest because that flood's going to come again. Yeah. And if you can't get your two harvests in there, too bad for you. Yep. Um, so a flood that stays around for too long can be just as devastating in terms a of one. starvation and famine mm -hmm. as as the the, the weak yep. one. Okay, so then the Nile water recedes. You got to wait for shit to dry out. Yep. It's um, it's wanna, a like... sopping wet mess. Yeah, and the sun is strong, so it'll start to dry things out. You need to save some of that water for your second growing season, which we will talk about a little later, like yeah. basins and canals yeah. and all this good stuff. Right, so more mosquitoes. Yeah. And then you start to plant your seeds. And the planting of seeds in Egypt is super easy. You barely have to plow. You just you throw, throw that them, shit out there. And then let the there. cows walk on top of it. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And your kids. Yeah, anyone. And, Goats. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And then a couple, couple months later, you've got some nice kernels of grain mm -hmm. or or strands of flax. Flax, or, grains, um, you millet, probably barley. Yeah, millet, barley. Grow some onions and yeah, lentils. Vegetables. Maybe chickpeas. Chickpeas, definitely. Um, eggplant. Mm -hmm. um, no tomatoes, no potatoes. No, Don't put these things world. in there. Yep. So then you harvest your first crop, what? Do we say December? December, January? Yeah. I would say like our winter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then Maybe for your second one, yeah. so you probably put your really good shit in there for that first crop. You're, you're looking for wheat and barley, and it's Amr Shahat's work yep. that's proven that the, even the words for Upper Egyptian and Lower Egyptian have to do with the wheat yep. and the quality of the wheat. So what's the word for, for Lower Egyptian? Shema. Or uh, that's upper. upper. Yeah, upper. And it means? Just up, well, we just always say it. We say Upper Egyptian. Upper barley. But it means gray. thin. Oh, because the same as it's linen too. Yes, they it use means, this for linen too. It means thin or ah, or bare. I've never connected like, the two. Anemic yeah. is a word I like. Because and, it's, yeah, you it's want, like sad. You want, they don't yeah. have as much water. And delta barley, lower Egyptian, is, what is you want. mehu. Yeah, and it is fat. It is nice, fat, juicy kernels hmm. of grain where your beer or your bread is going to be, you know, more bountiful. That's the that's oh, the that's grain you want. And never yeah. put Shema together. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's super cool. Um, and and so you're going to have different qualities, different output from Delta yeah. to Nile Valley. And different parts of the Nile Valley are going to produce different kinds of wheat. Yeah. I'm sure they had different reputations and different too. seeds and different Middle things. Middle Egypt still has the reputation for being like the linen producing. Yeah. So it's argued that it was back and then as flowers well. flowers and perfumes. Yeah. Flowers, perfumes. Yeah. I always wonder, like, the difference between, like, gardens, like, mm -hmm. what was grown more, like, by household mm -hmm. versus, like, large kind of mass production of, like, wheat and right. other grains. 
Because you're not going to grow like a whole you don't need acre like, of onions. You don't need that much yeah. space. And yeah. I feel like that's people probably growing their own onions like in a mm -hmm. personal plot or something. Yeah, I think so. Versus And you have cultivation of trees. You have mm -hmm. arbor land Dates. for sycamore and acacia, local woods. You have date palms, date palms. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, a lot so. of, and a lot of these plants, non-native Egyptian, right? They're importing a lot of them from very long times ago right. to Egypt, right? This I don't know as well, but from what I understand, the wheat and barley both come from West Asia, right? Flax too. Flax too. Um, and I think the lentils and chickpeas as well. Mm -hmm. I think most everything. I don't know about the onions. I don't know about onions. But yeah, the, the agriculture is all introduduced mm -hmm. from the Fertile Crescent, so-called, yep. uh, the Levant and then I think Anatolia. Some of the, the animals are... are Homegrown domesticates. Oh but, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's been some more the, the recent, water buffalo some of and the stuff cow like that. breeds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's always hard too because like I know the flax more better. That there's like a native flax to Egypt that's wild. Yeah. And then when you first see domestic flax, it's of the Near Eastern variety. But it's like not to say that you know they never domesticated the. Egyptian native wild variety well, or like crossbred them together or something like this and flax is also one of those things that grows best with a shit ton water. of water yes. shit ton you, of it water need like almost like rice patties yes yeah and that means that having flax to wear means you come from an incredibly wet place and most people are living with wool yep. and woolen clothing mm -hmm. and that's the norm and having flax is it's just a wonderful thing that the Egyptians are yeah. always showing themselves in their tomb scenes and temple scenes wearing linen. That is their... Everywhere else in the Mediterranean, you they can't, can't really grow you a can't lot grow of it. linen. You can't you create it. Mm -hmm. And it's an Egyptian... It's, it's kind of just screaming wealth and mm -hmm. wetness and fecundity. Yes, fecundity, yeah. Yeah, a, a different yeah. kind of geography. Um, what yeah, you wear is always fed, defined by geography. Any place with rain-fed agriculture yeah. doesn't. Like even like if you think of modern day flax, like where does flax grow really well? It's like Ireland, huh. you know, like really wet places, Belgium, you know, you think of like northern Europe, that's like where the finest flax come from nowadays because it's really, really wet. Isn't that interesting? So if you're thinking of like places that have rain-fed rain, rain agriculture, mm -hmm. like it's not Greece or the mm -hmm. Near East or anything like this, West Asia. They and when Egyptians rain. form their identity based on this geography, they think of people wearing wool as other, mm -hmm. as something strange. Not that they didn't ever wear wool in their daily lives, because, you know, Egypt gets cold like anywhere else, yeah. and linen is not going to deal with that chill. It's wool just in will. just stereotypes of yeah. the other. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good way of, of making sure that Egyptianness is is clearly identified. Well, and what's the term for rain? Um, like, how does in... The hymn, Akhenaten's hymn to the Aten. I don't know. What's the term? It's called like the Nile from the sky. Because like they don't oh. conceptualize this water as coming from the sky. They think of it as the Nile. It's the word Yitru. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yitru and Pet or we something? I have to look. throw it in the show notes. But I know that's, that's cool. the metaphor to describe rain huh. is like the Nile in the sky because it doesn't really rain in mm -hmm. Egypt. Well, it didn't used to. Now it yes. rains in Egypt well, because you have Lake Nasser and you have... You have a different kind of, of climate in Egypt. Changing, yeah, yeah, water patterns are changing significantly. Mm -hmm. And we can, I'm sure we'll get to that. But yep. 
But okay, wait, going back. So we, we've had our first harvest, probably yep. more grain, but people can write Do in another. and let us know if, if you would throw other stuff in there and, and linen, flax and other yep. things. And then your next harvest, isn't that supposed to be more, a little bit of grain, but then um, fodder for the animals and things like that, like alfalfa. You probably and... won't get as probably. Is alfalfa native to? I don't know. That's what we grow here. Yeah. Like, everything's like alfalfa, like back home. I know they grow alfalfa in Egypt today, but yeah. what I don't know is if it's an it's invasive native. or native yeah. or what, what if they Good grew question. it in ancient, in ancient times. But you would grow a lot of greenery to feed your animals, get mm -hmm. through the time when you don't have a lot of. For the next inundation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and then that you're going to harvest and start storing in June. Yeah. And the and the flood's going to come and again. It's going to be. Quick. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. I, and when does Sirius rise? Well, it must be in. Like June. Late June. Yeah. Late June, early late July. Late June, July. Yeah. There's that. That's that one cool Hyksos text mm -hmm. um, where they're charting the rise of Sirius. Sothis too predict the coming of the flood. Yeah, in Egyptian, it's Sopdet, the yeah. sharp one, associated with the goddess. Mm -hmm. Not the dog star associated with the god Sirius. That's a more Greek understanding. Mm -hmm. um, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, but yeah. like important because if you didn't, you need, you know, to project your calendar and assume what plant, mm -hmm. what taxes are going to be coming mm -hmm. in based off the grain and stuff. You need to know when the inundation's coming in. Yeah. And if it's a bad one, you need to plan accordingly and, and the taxes must have been conditional on that oh it would be based off the type of flood you had right was it a good one then we we're expecting higher crop yields it was a bad one either too little or too much then we have to you know but i think it's cool that there's nylometers all over the place mm -hmm. there's not like one nylometer where they're like this is the nylometer is the we're using nylometer. for ta taxes yeah. everyone has to get in line no there's a nylometer in karnak there's a nylometer in that temple there's a nylometer in that place Almost as if people need to see it with their own yeah. eyes. Right? I like I like the idea that there or there might be like disputes. Uh huh. I, well, R said this. Yeah. You know. You can't ask that for mm -hmm. me. You're just going to come with some number because like, here the I flood was not so great. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe it wasn't equal across the entire. Yeah. I mean, Egypt's huge, so maybe you needed multiple. Yeah. Didn't reach or something like this. Or I like to think of what it was like when the Nile is flooded. It's like late September and the water start to recede and everyone's like, okay, we're going to get ready for farming. They're waiting for things to dry off and they start to draw lines and they're like, this is mm -hmm. my shit. Yep. That's your start shit. Start measuring the plot. And then out. people are like, that is not your shit. This is my mm -hmm. shit. And that's my land. And you get the hell off. And then there's disputes. And then maybe an institution like the temple comes in and they're like, no, that's ours. And oh my God. That. Like if any of the you, temple, how could you? you know, the Oracle text, if there was like dates and yeah. be like, do they all happen? Like, in September, right when they're... Because you know with date palms, Arguing people inherit date palms. Mm -hmm. And they're well, like, that's... They yeah, and they, and they give forever. them to their children, and that's their date palm. And if they do that with date palms, to do that with an Aurora of land, that's a big deal. But mm -hmm. how do you decide whose is whose? Yep. And then you realize that, that the Nile receding is the time for the strong men with many sons to come around and be like, this is ours. Well, and the... And because the Nile was so fluid, the land would always be kind of different mm -hmm. than the year before, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not like, you know, the plot is going to be exactly the same shape and yeah. size. It might, you know, be a little, they might have a little bit more silt and 
buildup or less. And but it means you had a yearly seasonal bullying contest potentially going mm-hmm. on. And I think that means that Egyptians, you know, people can only stand so much bullying and constant fight and they're just like, ugh, can we stop? And there was, I think, a human reaction to that constant bullying to just be like, you know what? Can we just get somebody in charge of all of this? Can the and temple we'll, just do all this? Can the temple <laughs> do this? Or can can our, you know, local landlord, yeah, strong, the, you know, Lord the Grantly or whatever no come mark. in and just yeah. tell us what to do? And we'll just work for him. We'll just share crop and we'll just draw it anew each year. And we don't have to fight with each other every time because it's a disaster. And maybe there's too much bloodshed over the years. And they're yeah. just like, let's not... And so you get a whole lot of sharecropping, mm-hmm. uh, very few, very wealthy landowners, either institutions or no marks. Yeah, that's true. And, um, and that creates a whole different kind of society, a whole different kind of society compared to rain-fed agriculture and, and, and yeah. people with their own plots uh, passing those plots down to the next generation. Um, and then you get into sexual control, and there's a whole lot mm-hmm. more sexual control in those places where people own their plots. They know what they are. They're going to give them to the next generation versus Egypt where they don't, they don't do that. So we talked about all the plants Egyptians were growing, um, all those resources, touched upon different animal resources, you know, cattle, goats, sheep, pigs. Yeah. Your cattle and your pigs would be more in the wet areas. Your sheep and goat would be more in the dry areas. Mm -hmm. There there would be some intermingling sometimes, but... You know, your can, sheep and goat, you don't want those around your, your cultivated stuff. They're going to just eat things they shouldn't be yeah. eating. Yeah. I mean, maybe bring them in after everything's picked and mm-hmm. they can pick up the little bits. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Fatten them up. Then yeah. you have a big slaughter mm-hmm. and you, you go to town. Yep. Yeah. So thinking <laughs> of mineral resources. Okay. So the desert, though, seemingly may be very hostile to human life. Right. Has a lot of key resources for the Egyptians. So we have... Countless numbers of types of stone yeah. available. Granite, sandstone, limestone, uh, nice. Um, calcite, Egyptian like alabaster. So many different types of stone. Yeah. And then we have, you know, semi-precious and precious gems. Turquoise, carnelian. Amethyst. Yep. All these available. And then we have, you know, mineral mining resources, copper. Greenstone. Greenstone, malachite. Yeah. yeah. Gray, um, wacky. Gray wacky. And then the gold and the copper that's a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an abundance um, of, of resources yeah. available. And really pretty, nice, yeah. strong resources. Sandstone that can bridge t- uh, wide expanses mm-hmm. for, for ceiling structures. That's how you build the great hypostyle hall using mm-hmm. sandstone, for instance. Or Amenhotep III's solar court. And you have that colonnade going around. You need sandstone to do that. Yep. Um, you also have salt. Yeah. And people Different kinds forget, of salt. People forget how necessary salt is yes. to human life. <laughs> Gotta have salt. Um, not and just for, to make things taste good, yeah. but for like electrolytes to preserve things. things don't preserve. Get a yes. You need go your iodine. Yeah, your iodine. Um, preserve your fish because mm-hmm. we didn't talk about fish yes, in the fish. Nile. Yeah. Um, so you're gonna salt fish. Some of, some of it you're gonna eat fresh. If you're living along the Mediterranean, you're probably gonna have to bring in. Or maybe not. You just got sea salt, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. You make it yourself. And there's natron salts, yes, which is a different kind. What is in natron, Amber? What's in natron? It's, it's like more like baking soda. Yeah, what it's like is it? It's sodium bicarbonate. Is it so? I don't think it's sodium bicarbonate. We'll look it up because you can eat baking soda. If you eat natron, you will die. Really? You I, will die. I read about this thing, this company in Egypt, and this is like 20 years ago. Okay. 
when I first started going to Egypt. And this whole family over Ramadan died because they put the the wrong kind of salt was in the salt packet and they put it all over the food. And and they all died because it was like a natron type salt instead of a sodium chloride type salt. Um, I know I made you yawn. When you look at somebody, when you look at somebody who's yawning, then then you have to yawn. So uh, natron is a naturally occurring uh, mixture of sodium carbonate. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a kind of soda ash. Yeah, that's why, because it's like potash then. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. 17% sodium bicarbonate, also known as baking soda, along with small quantities of sodium chloride and sodium sulfate. So it's the sodium sulfate that kills you? Probably. The hell killed these people? Um... I what? do not know, but yeah. salt. So you can mummify if you're mm-hmm. wealthy. Dry things out. Um, and, and use it for cooking. And then there's other things like red and yellow ochre. Yeah. Oh, yeah, pigments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's orpiment, arsenic uh, pigments, uh, or orpiment and realgar, which are nice bright yep. colors to paint with. Um, there's uh, gypsum. Mm-hmm. So you can make plaster. Plaster. Um, what else can you get from the desert? There's desert animals that you could eat, antelope mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah. So there, many there's mineral resources. So many things one can sell. And of course there's gold. Gold. So, yeah. Oh, we didn't even touch upon gold. <laughs> the gold and yeah, silver. Copper and gold. Silver yeah. too. Yeah. No. Oh, I don't know about iron later mm, on. There's iron everywhere in a sense, I as I have true. been taught. There's iron everywhere. It's whether or not you have the technology to get Exploited. at it yeah. from the rock, oh. um, as, as I understand it. Yeah. So, but, no yeah. Tin, no tin, though. No or tin. Small, or small, very small bits of tin. Yeah. Nothing yeah. major. Okay, amethyst, what else? Other stones. Hmm. No other, I can't think of any other precious gems. I guess the carnelian. Sa- the lapis lazuli you have to bring lapis in. Lapis comes from Afghanistan. From a- yeah, Central Asia. We think. Badakhshan region. Mm-hmm. That's the closest mine. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. The, I mean, the, think of like anything on King Tut's like pectorals. Like those are all those gems, glass, stuff to make glass, mm-hmm. so silica. Silicate, yeah, that's true. To make, to melt from making glass. Right. Clays. Steatite. Steatites. All these different clays, mm-hmm. you know, marl. And you can tell if a clay is... Mm-hmm. A marl clay from the desert or a Nile silt, silt yeah. clay. And one is more the black and red and the other prayer. one is, yeah, it is. It's, it's a finer, lighter, yeah. lighter, finer. So they would Grain. bring in clays from the desert to have yep. a nice, finer pottery. True. So, yeah. So, I mean, really self-sufficient. You don't really need, as we'll talk about in a bit, but maybe just trees. Yeah, <laughs> trees and tin are like the, only, like the only things thing you, you have need. to bring in. You don't need people. No. There's more people in Egypt than, than you need. There's underemployment in mm-hmm. Egypt and you can draft people into labor with impunity. So you don't need to bring in enslaved peoples either. No. Um, you've got enough women, um, not a shortage there. You've got a ton of animals. Lots it is of food. It's yeah. it's a wealthy place. That's and then we get to the other part of the geography, which maybe you're getting to mm-hmm. that it's protected on all four sides. No, no let's I talk mean, about what it. do you see that that? Well, so that I mean, does? it's. I mean, people always ask, you know, why does Egypt last for thousands of years as yeah. like a you know a a pretty much continuous and separate and unique unique kind of place. you know place and i think one of the reasons is its geography placing it it's bounded on two sides by one side by a major desert right the sahara to the to the um, west, west. Yeah. the eastern desert 
still a major blockage, but then you also, besides the rivers are, besides the deserts, you have seas. Yeah. Also, yeah. you know, the Red Sea and the Mediterranean yeah. are harder to tra traverse than just walking. Yeah. Getting from West Asia into Egypt, you have to go through a desert of the Sinai, and it's a blockage, right? It's a narrowing point, so it'd be mm -hmm. easier to defend. Right. Um, from the south, you more have those cataracts, cataracts in the river. blocking, yeah. making it harder to sail upstream, uh, or downstream, I should say, actually. In a narrow um, river channel, narrow river. easier to watch. I, the, yeah, the desert's more closer into the river. Yeah. I think it's harder to... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Egypt's pretty well protected and naturally fortified against right. its neighbors. Um, I think the people who have the easiest time at it, I would say, would be Nubia, Nubia, Nubians. Yeah. Traditionally, but... And then much later when you have more sea, seafaring and... What do you mean the Nubians have the easiest time of it? Of, like, anyone to invade. Oh, I yeah, think. but they're the ones who get invaded. Yes, instead. First. So. Right. So all but of later those on, people, yeah. you know, starting as soon as Egyptian civilization becomes a thing, as soon as kingship becomes a thing, Nubia will become an invaded thing. Yeah. And, and it, it does have its own separate culture, its own separate mm -hmm. space. But it, as soon as Egypt has strength, it will go and exploit that yeah. other place. Yeah. They'll, but, they try to do the same with the Levant, but the Levant is more... Decentralized. Decentralized, exactly. And yeah. so it's harder to just monolithically go in and take something, which mm -hmm. you can do well, in because Nubia. The Nile. Yes. In Egypt, it makes for a very centralized, mm -hmm. this long line. Well, now you're, so you're leading up to my favorite point, yeah. which is that this long line, this artery, Delta mm -hmm. accepted. The yeah. Delta is its own thing. Well, and the Delta thing. kind of remains. A little you confusing. Know, a little confusing. It's arguably when it kind of comes under firm control mm -hmm. in, you know, early dynastic Egypt, when exactly it is actually part of a united Egypt. But it's an, it invaded away. and brought together mm -hmm. by somebody on the outside. It's not the delta that's going to mm -hmm. unify itself. It's always from someone from the south. Always from somebody else because the delta is not geographically as prone to unification to organically, yeah. whereas the Nile Valley is quite prone to an yeah. organic send unification. Word down the line. Yeah. You don't need to send word omnidirectionally. <laughs> and you can send out your your ships with your army dudes, just Sail go downstream. up and down, yep. go upstream, go downstream, and you can unify vast areas of of farmland along the yeah, Nile. Everyone's right there. Really quickly. Mm -hmm. And make deals and negotiate, broker things, and be like, okay, you're, I'm going to give you this much. You're going to work for me. And okay, we got it. We got it. You can, you can unify all of Upper Egypt into a nice, tight, authoritarian unit yep. over generations and kick the shit out of the Delta, which is arguably the first thing that was colonized mm -hmm. by the Upper Egyptians. Yeah. And right? it's not until much later when we're more of a Mediterranean-focused mm -hmm. that the Delta then becomes its own renaissance its own uh, yeah. high point yeah yeah but yeah it's, yeah so it's naturally protected i think and then yeah it's not until much later that we have our first invasions right iron age yeah iron age age of empires that's when you get all of your invasions and that's yeah. when egypt's never really able to have native control mm -hmm. there's a limited native control of, I mean, is the 26th dynasty native control? Yeah. Arguably yes, arguably no. We can, but 28th, 29th, 30th dynasties, 
last you know 150 years or something and then mm -hmm. before that you had imperial forces and there after that you're going to have imperial yep. forces and one could argue that while egypt has native rule right now the amount of economic imperialism is considerable yeah so it's um it's a place that now everyone wants a piece of it and it's mm -hmm. so interesting to see that because of its geographic wealth, including that gold mm -hmm. and silver, electrum, all of those minerals, all of the things that it could build, everyone wants a piece of Egypt. Af all of Africa right now. Yes. If you look more globally even. Like when we were in Ethiopia, like it was China it was everywhere. Right. Because right. they have all those like weird metals that you need for computer chips mm -hmm. and other things. It's just it's a new type of colonialism. So people are going in with their corporate colonialism mm -hmm. to take a piece of Egypt. Exploit. And then there's the cultural colonialism where people want to claim ancient Egypt. Yep. And you have Europeans saying Egypt is the origin of European ancient civilization. Mm -hmm. And you have Africans saying that Egypt is the origins of an African civilization and West Asians saying the same, and it's super complicated. But Egypt is so sexy mm -hmm. um, and so wealthy, alluring. so alluring and so continuous. It is the place that really invents and perfects the divine kingship mm -hmm. because of its geography. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it seduces great leaders like Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. Alexander they had to. Before that, he Alexander just, you know, yeah, yeah. kept going east, but nope. he had to swoop down and take Egypt. It was and go to Siwa go out of his way. Yeah, and then go he goes Egypt. to Siwa to go yep. to the Amun Oracle to to justify mm -hmm. his I'm taking fun. over of the world. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like necessary, mm -mm. right? You could have just kept going. Absolutely not. But ideologically, it was certainly yes, necessary. Very important. Another fun thing to touch upon too. So, what were the environmental dangers? out there for an ancient Egyptian. I can think of, you know, animals, temperature, talk about weather, disease. Oh my God, there's so many things. So, um, I mean, just start with the water of yeah. the Nile. Water, what, what does that do? I mean, depending on what's in it, like disease-wise, right? Yeah. You could get cholera, typhoid. If it's stagnant and it's like you're it be very trapped water that you're keeping near you. a village. Yeah, yeah, cholera, typhoid, no problem. Any other warm water-borne illnesses? I don't know if they had like hep. Hepatitis I think hepatitis things back have. then, yeah. And then bilizaria oh, yeah. and um, what's the other one? Any type of um, um, like schistosomiasis. Yes, any type of protozoa. Yeah. Braid, flesh-eating things. Yeah, things probably. that pass the blood-brain barrier yeah. and then eat, eat your brain. Amoebas. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> well, because like animals die, people go to the bathroom yeah, in the water. All kinds and, of gross yeah. bacteria in that water. Um, and, and most people, I think, who would have live there would have had natural immunity, would have been able to handle it. But also most people would have had parasites oh, yeah. living As in their system in extensive numbers. Probably and everyone had worms. Everyone had worms. Yeah. It, was, it was how bad your worms are, mm -hmm. not if you had worms. Yeah. And it was probably like everyone had worms, but if you had like some other illness going on, then the worms would like... And everyone had malaria. Yes. Right? Everyone had malaria. So it was a question of how bad your malarial fevers were, not if you got malaria. No. So that, you know. Yeah, all the mosquito-borne illnesses yep. you can think of. All the intestinal things. Yeah. And apparently cholera didn't come in as cholera until yeah. later, but that's fine. Cholera, typhoid-like Stuff that makes, gives you diarrhea. <laughs> that can take out a third of a village and diarrhea kill all the kids. Diarrhea-causing things. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, weird animal crossover illnesses. Mm -hmm. 
like smallpox yeah it's debated when smallpox arrives but there's all Plague. these pharaohs bodies covered with pustules that look yeah. smallpox like so. some people argue there are other things but okay fine but i it looks yeah i don't know I guess you'd have to. But, but I yeah, know, like, having that livestock around, you're going to get livestock, crazy shit. Yeah. And bats. Egyptians bats. have bats. Why do they not have a higher? There is a hieroglyph for a bat. I have heard this, but they don't do a lot with the bat. It's like the bat is unmentionable I and like, undepictable. Yeah, it's a very liminal yes. space in the They don't want to have. And the bats there. are there. Every time you go into a tomb, mm -hmm. there's bats it there. It smells like guano. Yes. Cactus. The, <laughs> the pyramids of Dashur all smell like guano, but mm -hmm. they never talk about them. It's like the, it's like he who must not be mentioned, yeah. the bat. Yeah, you think it would appear in like some of the underworld books or something? They like take this. all of the other fearsome creatures, like which we should head here next. But like the crocodile and the hippo, yeah. right? Super dangerous. To they live in the Nile. The, the hippo can snatch a child from the riverbanks. They tell us crocodile too, and it's so common that if you die in the river, you're, you're just like Meh. you're kind of you're sainted, right? You get like forever. Be really an easy way to hide a body. If you but, murdered someone and just threw them in the river and you're like, oh, a hypo got them. Oh, well, yeah, there's that 21st Dynasty oh, yeah. late um, Ramesid or late Ramesid text in which like, they're like, take those them. policemen that know too much, have them murdered and throw them in the Put river. Put them in a sack in the river. It's brilliant. Done. But but my, my point about the bat is that if the Egyptians are so good at taking this fearsome hippo mm -hmm. and turning it into a goddess who protects the mother and childbirth mm -hmm. and taking the fearsome crocodile and turning it into Sobek, who is fertility and the Nile flood so, and all yeah, of these like powerful things. Protector. Why don't they do that with the bat? You're right. This is interesting. They, they divinize the freaking shrew. They yeah. divinize <laughs> like all kinds of things. They don't divinize mice, do they? You see little votive offering. I guess they're kind of shrew-like looking though. But they don't divinize mice. No. There's no mice god Maybe it's that they're too small and... Mm. You feel like they just... They, they divinize really... the beetle. It's true and like bees. Yeah. You know, yes. BT. It'd be fun to do an article on the the animals that Egypt forgot or yeah. that Egypt didn't couldn't Choose mention. To focus on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bats are interesting because it's like they're mammals, mm -hmm. but they fly. So and, I feel like they'd be like, scary Whoa. As shit. they're scary. Yeah, they bite. They like bite they cattle a lot of times. They, I don't know. Well, it'd be interesting to see what type of bats live in Egypt naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are they more fruit bats or are they more? Um, like carnivores. I don't know. Somebody get on it. So. It seems an interesting Because I know like research. some like bats like actually like suck like cow's blood and stuff. So they'd be like attached to a cow's neck. Oh God. But some just eat fruit. So then like, this? I don't know, I watch a lot of Natu. It's horrible. <laughs> like nature documentaries. I don't like watching nature documentaries. I'm like, no, the lioness yeah, shall kill. I'm like, I'm not watching that. Sometimes they are like, you're like, oh, mm -mm. this is like too real. Though, when when we shot for Out of Egypt, we shot a Ramadan, mm -hmm. not a Ramadan, an Eid al-Adha mm -hmm. sacrifice of the animal. Oof. And they did it right in front of us. Oof. And I saw them cut the goat's neck and he bled. And two of the camera guys almost fainted. And I was like, oh, wow, look. And I had no problem seeing that. So I don't, I don't know if I, you know, I can't say that I'm too squeamish. You would have been fine. It was no. a quick death for the Yeah, I know that. I just, like, I think it's just something you have to grow up with. Like, people who hunt. I don't grow up with, I didn't grow I up with this. I never saw this. It was the first just, animal I've ever said, seen killed in front of me. It, it, it was, um, I don't mind, like, watching, like, people get cut open. And <laughs> In a in a movie or like no like even like when we were like at a dermatologist's office or stuff like oh no I can't pimple watch popping that. and all that like needles and no skin. my husband's like, mother loves me. watching the pimple popping yeah I like and the I pimple can't, popping I can't watch that um, yeah. but I don't know about watching an animal 
it would just depend. I th- I don't know. I think it would just depend on how and I. You love the animals. I love the animals. So I think the, just like watching its life. Yeah, I don't really care about people. <laughs> but like that's what movies. Like if an animal dies in a movie, I'm like. I lose it. But if a person dies, I'm like, eh, I don't care. Like the horses, the horses. Because I think animals are all totally faultless and blameless and humans suck. There's all kinds of books written about the animals of ancient Egypt. And one mm-hmm. of the most accessible ones is written by a dude named Patrick Houlihan. Yes. Animals mm-hmm. of ancient Egypt. He wrote a bird one. Birds yes, there's one birds. Too. And yeah. they have really cool illustrations. Yeah. Good illustrations. Yeah. So And, and so much of the Egyptian hieroglyphic system is yeah. based on their geography the world around them and it doesn't change they're like we're going to do it this way we're going to keep the birds we're going to keep these birds for thousands of years and you can actually prove that some of the animals that their hieroglyphs are based on had had gone extinct Mm -hmm. from human expansion and growth by the time they were written down in the new kingdom they were they were extinct like the like the leopard or yeah yeah certain like more savanna Mm -hmm. animals that you don't see in egypt exactly but were there in the pre-dynastic, yes, and pre, pre, like a pre, pre-patriarchal sort of yeah. cultural Just memory, yeah, dominant, yeah. Cool. Okay, so, so other dangers we have: snakes, scorpions. poisonous snakes, scorpions. We already um, mentioned the mosquito, the most dangerous animal yeah, in the savanna. Most well, dangerous. Not the savanna, mosquitoes yeah. have killed more humans than anything else. Really? Yeah, because of all the diseases they carry. Yeah. Um, what else is there? Um, dangerous. We hippos, crocodiles. Yeah. I mean, birds are really occasional, dangerous. like maybe very early on, some like big cats, maybe yeah. that were still lingering about. But the lions seem to really have gone extinct by pretty early. Yeah, probably like five thousand. I mean, they still they still and, and Amenhotep Syria, the third, yeah, or is it Tutmos the third? Amenhotep the third. I think he has his lion hunt. Wasn't that in Syria though when he's on campaign? Because there's it? still Syrian lions. There's the Asian lions. Oh, okay. He went, that was part of his, but there's still like the trope of the king going to hunt yeah. lions. Yeah, and I, so they probably kept some lions alive for a while. But there's still knows? lions in like the um, Sahara Desert and certain yeah. spots. So there put, could have been some it's amazing. outliers. Gets elephants too, maybe. Elephants could stomp on someone. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I. Abu, the name of Elephantine is after the elephant yeah. because of the shape of the rocks. It's like yeah. an elephant-shaped thing. But it's also close there to where elephants are. But I think they're African extinct for the most part. species that yeah. the Romans caused to go extinct. They were a smaller one. Right. I've heard this. From I've taking this. to Colosseum for games. I'm not so good with the wildlife, Cordo. It's but not I think that was strength. more of a West-North Africa Okay. I don't know how what its extent was. But I don't I think Egypt had access to elephants yeah. within reasonably close geographic yeah. distance, but Sudan, they didn't Ethiopia. have them within Egypt proper. Yeah. At least for most of Pharaonic Egypt. Maybe yeah. very early. Maybe. Because there's elephants at like Hierocompolis buried around That's baboons, right. but whether they're important. They had a zoo. They that, had a zoo. That Hierocompolis information is a yeah. freaking zoo. Yeah. And so many of the animals show that they were bound mm-hmm. and That's that they were abused. Yeah. And abused. But healed. So, like, it's maybe beaten, worse. but also healed. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, maybe some monkey. Mm-hmm. They had a lion, Kaiman. didn't they? Yeah, they had a lion. And, of course, Salima found that lion. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In where, where did Salima find the lion? Can you Google that? It was on that documentary from Saqqara. It was found in the in one of I the animal 
animal burials, and it was a baby lion. Yeah. And probably a baby lion that was bred in captivity. So they probably rearing some yes. of these animals. Yeah. Yeah. And it had the fur of the... So we're thinking it, yeah, like crazy. ancient Egypt Joe Exotic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I haven't seen that. And I'm not going Don't, to. Don't. It's I'm insane. Um, so we have all these animals that could bring harm. Temperature gets really hot there. Gets really cold. Gets really cold. Weather, not too much weather. No, there's the Humsean winds in the fifth month of the year. Yeah, I guess you have a sandstorm here or there. Yeah, so you can have a sandstorm, but, you know, near the... And you might have some of it in in the inundation lands, but it's not going to be like it is out in the desert. But you're not getting, like, a hurricane or anything like this popping up. No, no. Not the locale. No. Talked about disease. So those are kind of the Mm -hmm. environmental dangers. Um, Earthquakes. Earthquakes, yes. Mm-hmm. Egypt does get earthquakes. Get I have not ever experienced one in Egypt, but people talk about the it earthquake of 95 the, and to that big fault, the Rift Valley fault. Well, and the Sinai is slowly mm-hmm. um, Israel slamming. Wait, the Sinai is coming away and going up to West Asia. Is that right? Or the is Red it going Sea the other is way? widening. The Red Sea I think is the widening. The fault goes yes. right through the Red Sea there. Yeah. So you can and that does move. Micro does move. faults yeah. through Egypt. Yeah. And that Rift Valley. So like Somalia and stuff is like splitting, falling off. Yeah splitting away from Africa. Okay, so we've kind of tangentially talked about this, but I want to get into it more. So how the environment affected or influenced and was tied to the ideology of the ancient Egyptians. So we talked about, you know, a lot of the gods being, having animal forms and the hieroglyphs being very animal-based. So I just wanted to talk about some of the ideological ties between Egyptian culture and um, the environment. And I have some topics pulled, like the kind of story of the Nile, where it comes from. It's not a scientific understanding of how we'd understand it, right? Creation of the world. Yeah. Um, Egypt's own Big Bang. All the gods being very connected to nature and the environment. Right. All all these type of topics. And calendars and festivals, which I feel like we touched Mm -hmm. upon a bit. Yeah. Yeah. The, the calendar is interesting. So you have your, your seasonal calendar. Mm-hmm. You also have your lunar calendar. Yeah. Um, you have a I stellar love lunar calendar. calendar. Lunar calendar is beautiful. I just love it too because it's, it's very feminine. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I always like that it's very in touch with us. Yeah. And, and what happens to us every month mm-hmm. and control and the, the months of the childbearing and all of these things. And yet they give it to male gods. In Egypt. In Only Egypt. in Egypt. Yeah, Only in true. Egypt. And they pick Thoth, whose beak is moon-shaped, and then they give it to the baboon, strangely. Mm-hmm. Though though Thoth baboon-shaped is more of a solar-worshipping being. Yes, because he's sunny yes, himself. Yes, in the morning sun, then he is a lunar being, but he's still associated with Thoth, which is the master of the lunar calendar and writing. Um, but, yeah. Well, could I, I don't know too much about the moon in Egyptian religion, but could the moon be seen almost like the the sun at night or a type of sun at night? He's like a son of the sun. So if yeah. Amun-Re in the Theban triad is the male god and his son Khonsu is mm-hmm. the moon god, then it's the son of the sun, <laughs> the it's offspring still, of the bright, sun. It's still bright. It's still light emitting. Mm-hmm. But, but in, it disappears. And unlike so many other parts of the world where the moon is the feminine principle mm-hmm. and the sun is the masculine principle and the two are a partnership and they trade out, you instead get uh, the both, both of males. them are are masculine. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that that's a patriarchal imposition because I I dare say these things were pre-patriarchal and then taken on yeah. um, into a, a patriarchy once that formed pretty late uh, around 5000 BCE or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not that early, maybe 4500 yeah. or something like yeah. that. But, you know, the, the way the Egyptians work with the ideology of the geography around them is as complicated and ambivalent as it could possibly be. And what I mean by that is in some ways it's animist. It's like Mm -hmm. the river is a divinity and must be protected Mm -hmm. and, and we live in a sustainable reality with it. And yet you try to control it Mm -hmm. and you, you try to create rituals that make the river do certain things. And then you, you um, a, create channels and you create the nylometer yeah, and you're, you're marking it. symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it's symbiotic, but it's, you know, it's like um, the Egyptians like to control their environment. Mm-hmm. Even existing in an environment that really rebelled against being controlled. Mm-hmm. So they would build with stone in places that would be flooded. Yeah, where mud brick wouldn't last. Exactly. And so you're, you're trying to control the uncontrollable. And there's this constant tension going on between an environment that is ever shifting that the Egyptians are ever trying to to make permanent. Mm-hmm. And it's a very human wish. Yeah, fighting their... Yeah, fighting their, their mortality, fighting mm-hmm. the change. And in some ways, we love Egypt for that because it seems that they're winning. Yeah, and it's what's left over for us to study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have the pyramids, you know, 50 stories tall. They have won the Egyptians. They They defeated Mother Nature in a sense or controlled their resources to such an mm-hmm. extent that it it created this massive monumental structure that still is there for us to yeah. look at in the temples, Karnak and Luxor and all of these places, Dendra. Um, but so it's it's confusing to me whether or not it's, it's almost like Egypt is hyper modern mm-hmm. in that, like we are, where our dams control all our rivers yep. and our our army corps of engineers goes out there and makes sure that, you know, the nature is kept at bay and our cities are safe or whatever. And yet at the same time, there's this deep cultural memory of how special Egypt is geographically and how much it controls them that they dip into Mm -hmm. and don't try to control. Or that it's preserved unchanged in their ideology. I mean, but here, then, like, in the real world, they're making canals and yeah. fighting it and doing all these things. But ideolog- ideologically, it, it has this conservative or more symbiotic, I think, relationship shown versus lived existence was maybe a little bit more adversarial. Here is where I think the linchpin is, in that the geography lends itself to kingship. Mm-hmm. The geography lends itself to an easy authoritarianism compared to other parts of the world. And so you create an ideology where the guys in control are like, the gods want us to be here. Look at all of this. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, yeah, it looks like that to me too. Or I'm making the good floods come. Yes. Because I'm being a good king. And, and more good floods than bad because mm-hmm. of the way that geography works. It creates a positive feedback loop in which everyone is drinking the Kool-Aid and going, yep, this geography wants this king to be here. This mm-hmm. geography wants me to be a lowly sharecropper. Well, he's a god. Because he is a god. Yep. And it, so it allows a, a minority of people 
to control it rather easily mm -hmm. with nice ships and wood, cedar wood they bring in yeah. from the Lebanon to go up and down and have control and, and get all the scarce resources and get all the labor and get their scribes out there to pull out resources. And so it's, it's a confusing thing. Yeah, that it seems almost hypocritical, but it's... It does, that you, we're living with the nature and the nature is what allows me to be king. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's super confusing. But that's the... That's one of the coolest parts of e about Egypt. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's it for part one. We hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned in two weeks for part two. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack after lives after party you can find me on facebook at karakuni egyptologist and on twitter and instagram at karakuni see you next time on after lives with karakuni <laughs>